open there at John chapter 8 and verse 12 as we consider together today uh, Jesus' words, I am the light of the world. Imagine you're one of the Israelites all those years ago trudging out of Egypt into the wilderness. You're surrounded by friends and family, carrying bundles of food, leading animals, nursing a child. The ground below your feet is sore, is making your feet sore. It's dusty, it's hard. The sun is beating down on your head and your neck. And when you stop to think about it, the thought comes to you, none of us have ever walked this way before. None of us know exactly where we're going. All of us are tired out. How can we really be sure that what we're doing is the right thing at all? But then you look up ahead and you see that great pillar of cloud. It's not a natural cloud. You, you know that just by looking at it. It's been right in front of you all the time, guiding every step that you take. And when night falls, that pillar of cloud becomes a pillar of fire. An even more awesome sight, perhaps. A sheet of fire in front of God's people, lighting up the darkness. And so although you're tired and you're not sure what's up ahead and you wonder sometimes about what is coming next you know you're on the right path because Yahweh the God of Israel is your guiding light over the years the Jews felt it was worth remembering how God had guided his people through the wilderness like that they had the feasts that God had given to them commanded them to keep and we read about the feast of booths earlier in Leviticus 23 A seven-day feast when people would uh, sleep under leafy shelters, maybe on the roof of their home, uh, to remind them of the wilderness years and how God had faithfully brought them through. But as well as keeping the feast as God had commanded, the Jews had uh, added on something else. It wasn't really part of their worship. It was just what we might call a, a civic tradition. For the seven days of the feast, huge, huge lampstands would go up outside the treasury area of the temple in Jerusalem. And they would be lit with four candles each for the duration of the feast. By day they gave off a huge cloud of smoke, a bit like the pillar of cloud. By night the light of these lampstands lit up Jerusalem for miles around. Reminding them of course of the pillar of fire in the wilderness. And in John chapter 7... Jesus has been teaching and ministering in the temple courts during the days of the celebration of the feast. By chapter 8 verse 12, it's either the last day or the day after the last day of the feast. And so the massive lamps, the light of those lamps is slowly but surely dying out and fading away. And what does Jesus stand up and say? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It echoes what John said in chapter 1, verse 5 of his gospel. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And on Friday night, we thought a bit more about that darkness. The darkness that our world lies in. The darkness of sin and death. A darkness that disturbs us because of the wickedness that results from it. A darkness in other regards that we know deep down is deserved because of uh, the sin and disobedience of our world against God. 
And yet God has looked upon this dark world in our, in our need and in our sin and in our wickedness. And he has sent light. He has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come in to the darkness. I want to think first of all today about where the light is found. Where the light is found. Not a great heading, to be honest, because the question is not really where the light is found, but in whom the light is found. The light is not located in a place, but a person. Jesus says, I am, I am the light of the world. It's the second time in John's gospel that Jesus uses these words in this very definitive and uh, explicit way. We thought six months ago at our uh, previous communion season about the words, I am the bread of life in chapter six. And just as then, so here, Jesus is emphatic about this. The language is stressing those words, I am, I am. Remember God's words to Moses when he first called Moses in Exodus chapter 3, when he called Moses at the burning bush. Boys and girls, maybe that's one of your favorite stories. It was one of my favorite stories growing up. Moses sees this bush that's burning and yet it doesn't burn up. And that's because God is speaking to Moses in, from, in and from the bush. And what does God say as, as Moses asks questions of the calling that God has for him to go to Egypt? Moses says to him, who shall I say has sent me? And God replies, say this to the people. I am has sent me to you. I am. God has had no beginning. He will have no end. He is simply, I am. And Jesus very intentionally, very intentionally uses the same language God used. And he is declaring himself here, friends, to be God. This man who has been teaching in the temple and who has, who has drawn crowds earlier in his ministry, who seems to be from nowhere and has been doing nothing most of his life as far as the world is concerned, he stands up and declares, I am. I am the light of the world. And in case you doubt whether Jesus was really claiming to be God by saying those words, uh, it's confirmed to us by the reaction of his enemies. To these words. Because later on in chapter 8. Uh, Jesus gets even more explicit about this title I am. And the Pharisees who, who are discussing and debating with Jesus as usual. They want to stone him for saying this. Because they recognise that this is a claim to be God. And this is why it's a bit of a, a fallacy. And it's a, a foolish statement for anyone to say today. Well I'm not a Christian but I have great respect for the teachings of Jesus or the example of Jesus. I'm not a, I don't believe everything the Bible says, but I think Jesus was a great person. But he was just an ordinary person in, in a sense. He was just a really good person. It's a, it's a foolish opinion to hold because it ignores the fact of, of what Jesus said about himself. Yes, you can read the Sermon on the Mount or you can read other bits of Jesus' teaching and say, well, that's a great example to follow. But the man who taught those words, friends, also said, I am. I am the light of the world. I am the bread. Uh, I am the bread of life. I am the way and the truth and the life and the resurrection and the life. He was claiming, friends, to be God. And so you can't pick and choose with Jesus. Either everything he said was true or none of it is. 
But what exactly was Jesus emphasizing about himself when he said, I am the light of the world? Well, part of his meaning, friends, is that he hasn't ignored or given up on the world. Just as God didn't leave his people uh, in the darkness of slavery in Egypt, but guided them out with that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. So Jesus has come, however undeserved it was, to lead his people out of the darkness of our sins and the death that it brings. He hasn't abandoned the world. He has come to the world. He has provided hope and light for the world. And of course what Jesus is also saying, friends, here is that he is the only light of the world. He exclusively is the light of the world. There may be other flickering lights that burn brightly for a while, like the lights in Jerusalem when Jesus had been when Jesus was speaking, but they don't last. And they can do for us what Jesus, the light of the world, can do and has done. People choose all kinds of guiding lights for their lives today. Some people blindly follow the light of sexual experience. And they think it will bring contentment, but it leads to ruin because in entering into that behavior, they're giving away a little bit of themselves in a sense. And it leads to less and less satisfaction and to more and more hurt and insecurity. Some people blindly follow the dim light of material gain. That's been one of the guiding lights for many people in our country for decades and decades. The the hope that we can have more and achieve more than the generations that came before us. And more than ever at the moment, that's a light that is flickering and dying out. And it seems for many that it's unlikely that they'll get more prosperous than those who came before them. 19th century in Europe is often referred to as the Enlightenment. And with the advances of technology and scientific discovery, people began to believe that humanity could be its own guiding light. Our rationalism and our discoveries and our, uh, and our, our own abilities, it was all we needed. And there was less concern with the belief in a supernatural being. And yet scientific discovery and human reason in the 1800s didn't stop two, the, most, the two appalling world wars of the 1900s and the 20th century became the bloodiest in human history because of the darkness of human nature. Mentioned on Friday evening, Her Majesty the Queen was referred to by someone outside, uh, it was either Balmoral or Buckingham Palace, I can't remember which, but she was referred to as a guiding light. And in so many ways she was, she was a wonderful example as we were considering earlier. But her light has gone out, at least on earth for now. And it's the same for the best of our leaders, the best of our role models, the best of our, uh, of our, of our parents, of our, of our previous generations, our, our examples, those we have looked to for guidance and help. All of us, eventually, our time on this earth comes to a close. None of us can do what the Lord Jesus Christ can do. He says, I am now and always, the light of the world. And if you're a Christian this morning, something in your heart knows that that rings true. You know that Jesus has brought you more joy and more peace and more satisfaction than anyone or anything else ever could.
You can say with the psalmist this morning, if you're a believer, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? Only Jesus, the light of the world, has been able to take away your sin. Only Jesus, the light of the world, has conquered death in the fullest sense and can give you the hope of conquering it as well. Only Jesus, the light of the world, has been with you through every trial and every temptation and shepherded you through. Only Jesus is a light truly worth following. We considered on Friday evening some of the great promises in the Old Testament that God made, promises using the language of light and dark. A very famous one, Isaiah 9 verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And now Jesus stands outside the temple as the great lights of Jerusalem die out behind him. And he says, I am that light that Isaiah was promising. And the one you've been waiting for. And the one who can conquer death. Peter would say a few years later, Acts 4 verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. How did Jesus save us? Well, of course, he went into the darkness of the judgment of God on sin when he went to the cross. Jesus, the light shining in the darkness. And it seemed that for three days the light had flickered out. And then Jesus rose again. Conquering Satan and sin and the darkness of death. The light has come into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Are you trusting in the light today, dear friend? Do you know where to go to find the light that you need for your life? Or are you trusting in flickering lights that promise much but deliver little? Where the light is to be found. Secondly, who the light is for. Who the light is for. The Jewish nation wasn't what it should have been in the days when Jesus walked the earth. Remember what God said all the way back to Abraham. Genesis 17 verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And even from the earliest days, the nation of Israel, they were to have this concern with their witness to the world. They were... They were to be a beacon of light in the world in which they lived. There wasn't perhaps the same evangelistic uh, priority as there is now in the New Testament church. But nonetheless, the nations of the world were to look to Israel and see the, the blessings and the prosperity that came to the people who followed and obeyed their God. And they were to come and to praise and worship that God as well. Psalm 67 verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And so the nation of Israel, friends, existed not only to bring glory to God themselves, but to be a shining light to the other nations of the world. A rebuke to them, an example to them, that they too should honour and worship the God of Israel. And at the the height of the kingdom of Israel, if you like, in the days of David and Solomon, uh, you, you read a little bit of that happening during their reigns of foreigners coming and Worshipping their God. But by the time of Jesus, this dimension of uh, Israelite identity had had really been lost. Uh, Under the the misguided and 
man-centered concerns and traditions of people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jews were very inward focused and they were more concerned with national pride, in particular wanting to be free of the Roman occupation. But Jesus has not come simply to be the light of the Jews. Jesus says he has come to be the light of the world. Jesus has come to do what the Jewish nation had failed to do. To be a beacon of light to all people that dwell on the earth. And again this was prophesied well in advance. Isaiah 49 verse 6. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 42 6. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. And what the nation of Israel failed to be, friends, Jesus himself would be. He would be a light for all peoples. And he can be a light for you today. If today you're still in the darkness of your sin, Jesus can bring you out of that darkness. If you feel like you're in the dark about your life and what your purpose is and what your identity is and where your life is headed, Jesus can bring light upon those things. He can shed light on those questions. If today you're feeling burdened down by anxieties or tiredness or guilt or you're unsure of your way, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am your light. I am your salvation. It would be a very strange thing if you wanted to remain in total darkness all the time. We thought about this on Friday evening past. It's very rare that we ever find ourselves in total darkness. There's usually always a little chink of light coming in uh, under the door or through the window. Absolute darkness makes you feel claustrophobic and uneasy and anxious. Probably doesn't happen, certainly not in countries like ours anymore, but years ago, and perhaps in other parts of the world today, if a prisoner misbehaved in a prison, if they were being particularly hard to work with for the guards or they did something Uh, particularly awful whilst in prison, they were put in an even smaller cell for a period of time. They were given less food and drink. They were put in a very small space and they were kept in total darkness. That rightly being understood as a, a terrible existence to be in the pitch black all the time. And yet, friends, that's the natural situation for sinful human beings. Without the light of Christ, we live in the darkness of our sin. And if we die without the light of Christ, we will go on to total darkness. Part of God's judgment upon our sin. But Jesus gives us this gracious hope. I am the light of the world. For anyone and everyone who believes in him. He offers you this forgiveness, this life, this light. No matter what dark deeds you have done, no matter for how long you've wandered away from the light, he has taken the punishment that your sins deserve. That's what we come to celebrate and give thanks for at the Lord's table today. And for three hours as Jesus hung on the cross from 12 noon until 3 p.m., the time of day, of course, emphasizing that this wasn't just, uh, didn't just happen to be a, a, sh- a dark day because of the clouds or because of Uh, The time of day, it was 12 noon until 3 in the afternoon. Darkness surrounded the cross of Jesus Christ. 
the judgment of God that was intended or is deserved by us fell upon him so that we could step out into the light. And for those of us who are Christians today, here's part of our responsibility as people who by God's grace have had our eyes opened and our sin forgiven. We are to share the light with the world. Imagine a group of people lost in the darkness of a hillside or in the woods on a, on a night when the moon is hidden. They don't have a clue where to go. But one of them or someone comes along who has a torch and a map and who knows where they are. It'd be a very selfish thing for that person not to share what they know and what they have with those people who are lost. Well friends there are still of course so many people walking in darkness around us today. People we know and love. How selfish it would be for us to keep what we have to ourselves. We need to tell them about the light. We need to support efforts from others. To take that good news of the light to other parts of the world. To places that perhaps it's never reached before. We need to show them and plead with them to see that whatever flickering lights they're trusting in are going to die out and let them down. J.C. Ryle says, The light with which many please themselves shall go out in the valley of the shadow of death and prove worse than useless. But the light which Christ gives to everyone who follows him shall never fail. He's not just the light of Jerusalem. He's not just the light of the church. He's the light of the world. And so if you're in darkness today, he will be a light for you. Where the light is found, who the light is for. And thirdly and finally, what the light will do. What the light will do. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. Life is a very important word in John's gospel. It's an important word in the whole Bible, of course, but uh, it's used uh, at various key moments in John's gospel. And Jesus says in John 10, verse 10, for example, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. And Jesus' words there mean life to the full. Life in the best life. Life in the fullest sense of the word. It's not just talking about physical life. It's not just talking about the quality. It's talking about the security and the longevity that human life was always supposed to have. I remember when we were looking at the early chapters of Genesis this year and we were thinking about you know, the whole mythology of giants walking on the earth and I suggested to you that part of how that might be explained is that the human body and human existence was much, so much greater and stronger than what we consider normal today. The human body and the human existence when God first created us was of course supposed to last forever. And that's one of the reasons perhaps why the earliest human beings lived so much longer than we live today. But nonetheless, Jesus says he has come that we would have life and have it to the full. And perhaps what he means as well by that is resurrection life. Life that will last forever. Life that will be what it was before the fall and which will be even better than it was before the fall. Light generates, it fosters, it nurtures life. Jesus, the light of the world, gives the greatest possible life. When you're in darkness, 
when you have to be in the dark for a prolonged period of time, of course, you're still alive, but you're not able to enjoy life to the full. You're not able to enjoy as much of the freedom as you have if you're living in the light. Even if you're walking around your own house in the dark, let's imagine you have a power cut, and let's also imagine you can't find your phone. Let's say uh, you have to then take very cautious steps, uh, even in areas that you usually don't think twice about walking down the hall or walking down the stairs. Your life is limited by the dark. You have to be careful. You have to watch where you're going. Life in the dark is limited life. And you see, that's the great deception, friends, of cultures like ours, that the, the, the belief that we're getting the best that we possibly can out of life here and now. It's amazed to see the annoyance that was caused by football matches being cancelled this weekend uh, to, out of respect for the Queen. All these people are so annoyed because this is their life. They're saying, well, it would have been an, an opportunity for us to come together and to, to mourn. I don't think there would be much mourning going on once kickoff took place and goals were going in and tackles were going in and all the rest. But you see, people get so annoyed because this is their life. And they think that that's all there is to life. That that's life to the full, getting to the game. Or uh, having what we want or material possessions or going to this or experiencing that. Not bad things in themselves, friends. But just a sliver of life by the Bible's definition. Our world is in the darkness of sin. Sin is not life giving, it's life sapping. Doubts drain you of life. Guilt drains you of life. That constant anxious desire for more is tiresome. It's exhausting for people. It's anxiety inducing for people. Darkness drains you of life. But Jesus, the light, is life-giving. Abundant life, meaningful life, purposeful life is ours. If we're trusting in Jesus. The light of the world. And to prove his point. Look what Jesus does in John chapter 9. We don't have time to get into it. But just one glance. Probably at the heading in your Bibles. Will tell you the significance of what comes next. Uh, Most of your Bibles will have the heading for chapter 9. Jesus heals a man born blind. So Jesus announces. I am the light of the world. And then he gives light and life. To a blind man. And John is very intentional in putting those two events together in his gospel like this. Because remember Isaiah 42 verse 6. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes of the blind. To take away the darkness. To end that limited life, that life spent fumbling around in the dark and to give life to the full. If today you're trusting in this light. Yes, you will pass through dark times, times of difficulty and sorrow and sadness, even the dark shadow of death itself, as our nation has been reminded in these days. But you'll never be left in the outer darkness of judgment and death of hell. Consider the words of Psalm 112, verse 4 Light dawns in darkness for the upright. It's in the darkness that light is most appreciated. It's in the darkness that light is most needed. Perhaps today you're in a dark valley. 
Could it be that God has permitted you to go into that valley so that you would better appreciate the light of life in Christ? Could it be that you've been in total darkness up until today, until today, but now a light has dawned in your life? It's only possible if we confess our sins to Christ and follow Christ. We'll be thinking much more about what that means this evening, Lord willing. But to follow him is to love him. And it's to believe these words that he speaks to us today. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen.